Hi folks, Eric from Hit Subscribe here, and um, I am moving right along with another installment of the uh, weekly freelancer Q&A series. Um, I have a pretty like succinct and interesting question this week, which is basically, um, what is a retainer in consulting and how does that work? Um, this, as far as freelance topics go, isn't like, how do you get started freelancing? I would say this is kind of an intermediate topic. Um, and basically a retainer when you're a consultant is it's probably not something that your average freelancer would do starting out um so i'm going to kind of explain i guess um what maybe you've heard the term or uh, in sort of the context you might have heard the term uh what in my experience it means in consulting and just kind of how this all works so if you have heard the term just in casual conversation like a retainer it's probably like watching Law and Order or something, like some high-powered person has a lawyer on retainer. And what it means in that context is if you imagine a lawyer, um, most people, like hopefully you don't need a lawyer like clockwork every month. So imagine that it's like some criminal like in the mafia or maybe some you know high-powered executive working for a firm that has a lot of like legal concerns and liabilities. You don't really know exactly when you're going to need a, an attorney but you do want your attorney to have time for you when you need that person. Well, now imagine this from the attorney's perspective. Uh, you can't just commit to like 300 different clients and say, yeah, I'll be here whenever you need me. At some point, you have to cap the amount of clients that you make yourself available for, because if they all kind of bum rushed you at once, you wouldn't be able to keep up with that. So a retainer in that sense is basically a fee that the lawyer charges you to be available for you when needed. So you might pay that lawyer $1,000 a month just to keep a little bit of time in their schedule for you. Then when you actually need that lawyer, you start paying them their hourly rate for whatever it is you're doing or defending yourself from. So that's kind of the classic idea of a retainer. It's um, a fee that you pay to a um, service provider, um, a professional, an expert, just for them to keep a little bit of time banked in their calendar to give you advice. So that's the, um, I, I think, most classical definition that I can think of. Now, it gets a little bit um, murkier in the world of consulting and professional services. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that in a bit. But the first thing I want to say here is if you're a freelancer, what you're selling is probably labor. Um, so you go and you sell software engineering services by the hour or something. Um, usually when we're talking about a retainer, it's somebody who's selling advice, expertise, um, consultative things. So that's an important distinction to make. And one of the reasons I want to make that distinction is because I've heard this definition of retainer before that I'm not a fan of, which is say you build a piece of software for a client, you do custom application development, which is labor. I've heard people say, like, let's say that um, I'm a software laborer, I build you a website, and then I do a retainer where afterwards um, I also agree for some like monthly fee to like maintain the website. Um, so if like issues come up, I fix them, uh, bug fixes, that kind of thing. Um, that in a way is sort of moving in the wrong direction <laughs> um, in terms of the way I would think of a retainer. That's more like a maintenance contract. Um, as a brief aside, the way that I think of problem solving happening, um, I actually think I got this from Jonathan Stark uh, for the YouTube video. Maybe I'll 
uh, throw a link down in the uh, description. But the idea is if you're helping someone, um, there are four phases of problem solving. So there is um, diagnosis of a problem, prescription of a therapy, um, application of the therapy, and then like reapplication of the therapy. And the first two, uh, problem diagnosis and prescription, that's where your experts hang out. So like, um, given the medical language around that, like the medical language here is perfect. So like, let's say you have a pain in your quadriceps or something, you go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses the problem and then tells you what to do. And the do doctor may say, you've pulled a muscle, um, you know, go into a massage therapist three times a week for the next couple of months and, um, you know, go do exercise. And then after that, um, you know, I don't know, make sure you stretch uh, before you work out in the future. Now, what we've talked about there is all four of those phases. The doctor handles phase one and phase two, diagnose the problem, um, prescribe the therapy. Then the doctor's done. The expert is out from that point on. Now you're into labor territory. You don't want the doctor giving you a massage that would be extremely expensive and extremely weird. Um, so you, when you go to the massage therapist, that's still an expert of some kind, but this is a person that's doing labor. They're not in the doctoring business. Um, they're in the laboring business. They're in the business of, you know, massaging. Um, and then from there on out in the um, like maintenance of the therapy, if you will, or reapplication of the therapy, once things are solved as far as the um, massage therapist is concerned, now it's up to you to like, you know, spend a few minutes stretching your muscles. Uh, if you're about to go for a jog, you stretch out your quads. You don't pay a doctor to do that. You wouldn't even pay a massage therapist to do that. So the DIY labor there is the least valuable labor. Now, if we move back to the software world, um, the thing that a lot of laboring freelancers kind of lose sight of or even do for free is like the diagnosis and prescription. So somebody's hired you to build a website. Often you abdicate the question of why are we building this website? Like, why are you paying me, you know, $15,000 to build you a website? not really your problem. You're just entering at the massage therapist stage. Like, I don't know, somebody decided a website was a good idea for you above my pay grade. I'm going to build you one. Um, the next thing after that, like bug fix, like break fix on the website, this is not in any way expert labor. It's kind of, in, in a sense, grunt labor. I mean, I don't mean to knock it or anything, but it's just um, in terms of strategy, it's not even on the radar. Like, well, uh, users are having problem logging in. Of course you fix that. That doesn't require a lot of, um, you know, strategizing about. So the reason I'm going off on this tangent is that typically retainer consulting or any form of true consulting where you're being paid for your expertise happens in the world of um, diagnosis and prescription. It doesn't happen downstream in laboring or maintenance. Um, so I don't really like to think of like maintenance contracts as retainers. Um, you're being paid for a combination of labor and availability, but you're not being retained for your expert knowledge. All that background um, in the books. What is a retainer in consulting? Well, it can be the lawyer arrangement. You know, for instance, um, I used to, uh, in a previous life, do management consulting. So um, I would do engagements sometimes where I would be available. Um, for companies that were enlisting a firm um, to build them a website or a software application, I would, you know, for a monthly fee, say you can call me whenever you want. Um, and then they would sometimes call me, you know, here the firm is telling me this or they're falling behind, like, what do you think of this? I would be there basically just to observe and give advice 
be a sounding board for the executives at that organization that were commissioning this. Um, that was a typical kind of arrangement that I used to have. The reason this is a little bit different from the lawyer model is basically I would say something like, you know, for $1,000 a month, you can call me as much as you want. Here are the people um, that can call me. You know, it's your director levels and above. And I'm not going to set a, a cap on that. That arrangement tends to work well because uh, executives and directors and such are too busy. You know, a lot of people who might um, uh, hesitate in an arrangement like this are like, what if they blow up my phone all day, every day? It's only $1,000 a month and it could be 40 hours. Executives and people like that are too busy to call you all day, every day. It's not going to happen. In fact, your effective hourly rate from something like that usually winds up being quite high. Um, but the reason this isn't strictly like the lawyer arrangement is that I was kind of putting the two concerns together. So in the strict lawyer arrangement, the retainer that they're paying you for is just so you pick up the phone when they call instead of saying, sorry, I've got a full docket of clients. Um, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't telling them that um, I would uh, collect a monthly retainer from them and then also charge them an hourly rate. Part of that is because it's a harder sell for something that isn't like a lawyer. And part of that is because I'm not a believer in billing by the hour. So I just wanted to give them a nice price every month. Um, and I kind of factored in the idea that they would probably avail themselves of my expertise and not just pay so that I would answer the phone. So um, in the consulting world, at least in my experience, in my travels, the retainer is usually the combination of the two things. It's being available when they make the phone call and then also uh, helping them. But um, in terms of how it works, it, at least in my experience, I kind of mentioned this in passing, but you need to set some fairly firm boundaries. Um, so one of them might be, I don't do labor. If I'm being asked to give expertise about um, a software build project, or you know maybe it's design or whatever your uh, craft um, that you're an expert in was, like, you're not laboring, but the thing that you're an expert about, um, whatever that may be, you're not going to do the labor. Um, so, you know, if you used to be a freelance writer, but now, uh, I guess this would apply to like hit subscribes world. Maybe I'm considered an expert in building and administering content programs in this capacity. I would say to somebody, if I were doing retainer consulting, um, I will give you advice on your editorial calendar, on you know, creating content, what the content should look like. I'm not going to create any content for you. So that's one boundary you'd want to set. Another one is definitely who can talk to you. And you're going to want to keep that to probably the people that are signing your checks or pretty closely thereabouts. You don't want them handing you down the org chart to somebody who is effectively going to use you as a mentor or something. Uh, you know, that's a different type of engagement, mentorship, training, et cetera. You don't want to let it be that. Um, you could cap uh, how much they're allowed to call you. I never used to because it's a nice, attractive thing when you're writing your proposal. Call me as much as you want. And the truth of the matter, like I said before, is if you're engaged with a sponsor for the project that is um, high up in the org chart, those are busy people. They're not going to blow up your phone line just to pick your brain about nonsense. They're going to call you and they have very strategic, specific questions. Um, something you can do, depending on what you're presiding over in, in a, an arrangement like this, is you know maybe you bake in and raise the cost a little more to agree to attend certain like key stakeholder meetings. So, for instance, when I used to help um, clients manage uh, software vendors or something, 
if they were running Scrum, you know, um, Scrum as a process has certain meetings. So I might uh, dial in for their retrospectives or for their um, sprint planning meetings or something. So I'd audit a, a few meetings that were predictable in terms of how much they'd happen. For those of you not familiar with Scrum, um, it might be the kind of thing where I could look at the fact that they were following this process and say, oh, okay, they're going to have, you know, six meetings a month that I will attend and those will be hour long meetings. So I know what my time investment is there. Um, Generally, um, zooming back in, so if you're going to do a retainer that is more than just an I will answer the phone when you call fee, you want to be really um, careful about the scope of what you're signing up for, who's allowed to engage you, what all that's going to include, what you will and won't talk about, what you will and won't do. And the easiest way to do that, um, in my experience, is you know limiting those folks. Um, not doing any kind of execution, you're just answering questions, you're getting paid for your advice, uh, etc. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's any other uh, ground to cover there. Um, usually when I've engaged for things like this, it's monthly. That's pretty common. So it's, you know, $5,000 a month or what, you know, whatever you're charging them. And then it's for some scope of time. So if you're really providing like ongoing expertise, um, you could say, let's do this for a year. In my experience, it's usually shorter than that. It usually runs the duration of some kind of project or organizational initiative. You know, I might run a retainer for a company that's overhauling its org chart. So we're going to do the org chart design and then, um, you know, change and shuffle all the people around and get settled. And maybe that org chart redesign is going to happen over the course of six months. So we set the retainer at six months and say you could re-up month after month if you wanted. Um, but usually it's not the kind of thing that goes on in perpetuity. And frankly, I would say, even if a client is willing to do that, as a consultant, you should have some reservations about that because then you're almost acting as like a, a staff augmentation. I'm not saying don't do it, but why does somebody need your advice forever uh, every month? Like I, I would think that you'd be helping them towards some goal or some initiative and that should have an end date. You know, you're not just in there collecting money indefinitely. Uh, or if you are, you're kind of like a board member or something. So um, I would consider it a smell if you, you and them are both plotting a never-ending advice arrangement. Um, a smell in the sense like where there's smoke, there's often fire, but not necessarily always. So just be leery of that. If it's open-ended, uh, why is it open-ended? and Is that justifiable? Um so yeah, typically monthly, you know, spanning some kind of initiative or fixed time duration is usually how that goes. Um, I've historically not really asked for a lot of commitment for that because um, typically if you're um, an indie and you don't have a, like a company or organization that you're running or something, this is actually a pretty easy type of engagement to run alongside something else, even including um, a build. So like if you are, uh, sorry, a labor type engagement. So if you were somebody who typically built custom websites, but somebody called you in on a retainer to like consult periodically because they were having another firm build a custom website. Those two things are really easy to put into your, um, um, your schedule next to one another. Um, oh, and that actually reminds me, you would probably at the beginning of a retainer type arrangement want to specify what days, what hours, et cetera, you would be available for phone calls. Um, I should have mentioned that earlier. But alongside who's allowed to call you, like when are they allowed to call you, and uh, how much notice do they need to give? In my experience, I would typically say, um, you know, you need to 
I'm, I'm always available at these particular times, but I do want at least a day of um, scheduling ahead. So, you know, if you want to, I'm available every afternoon from like two to five, but you need to let me know at least one day ahead of time that you want to get on the calendar or something like that. Define the rules of engagement, because if it's just, um, you know, I'll answer the phone anytime you want to call and then immediately start doing work. I mean, that's pretty disruptive. So it's perfectly reasonable to say something like, I will attend these meetings that are preset over the next few months. And then if you want to discuss, just, you know, get something on my calendar at least a day in advance in this set of hours. Um, so, yeah, I hadn't really prepared any notes ahead of time. I think I've kind of dumped my bucket there on how retainers work in a consultative capacity. You could always structure them the lawyer way and just, you know, if you, it's good work if you can get it to have someone pay you just so you pick up the phone when they call. I don't think that's real common unless you're a super in-demand expert in some niche that the client needs. More likely, it's going to be some standing arrangement um, where you're acting as an advisor uh, of theirs. So hopefully that helps. Um, You know, I guess it's worth mentioning if I haven't covered this already before I uh, hang up the live stream. Um, It typically you need to have niched and you need to have established some kind of expertise and bona fides. It is pretty rare that you're, you know, making a living writing blog posts or making a living writing software or whatever for someone to say, hey, I want to pay you just for your opinions on stuff. So usually you need to have built up and demonstrated some kind of expertise, historical results for clients, or um, a set of testimonials and past retainer arrangements. I do um, think it's beyond the scope of this. You know, if you're interested, let me know on YouTube or DM me or whatever, wherever you're watching this. Get a hold of me if you'd be interested in how to go from doing labor to um, this type of expert consulting, but that's definitely a topic in and of itself. Um, so this is why I kind of to go full circle. I had said in the beginning, it's an intermediate to maybe even advanced topic is your typical freelancer, especially relatively early in freelancing days. This is not something somebody's going to come to you with, and it's probably something they're going to not engage you on if you were to propose it uh, with certain rare exceptions, but it is good to know. Um, You can get to this consultative situation. It is something that people do um, offer, and it's fairly common if you have the right kind of clients that can sign checks and they view you as an expert. Um, So yeah, hopefully that answered the question, and um, I will catch you all next time.